we've been, last week we covered the first 17 verses of Romans. Just by way of reminder, it's, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Romans, to the church, to the, to the Christian church that is in Rome. And uh, for sake of context, I want to pick up in verse 16. I'm going to probably guess that many of you have never heard this, the rest of chapter 1 taught the way it's going to be taught this morning. I'm going to very much try to keep it in context. I'm going to very much, you've probably referred to it in different messages if you've been in different places, but you've probably never sat through it taught uh, contextually. So what we're going to see is we're going to keep in mind, uh, look at verse, verse 16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. Now we talked about it last week and it's very, very important that these two verses kind of set the framework for the rest of Romans. And what the Apostle Paul is saying when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's not talking about, I'm, I'm not, he's not saying I'm, I'm embarrassed to talk about the gospel, I'm kind of shy, I don't know what people will think of me, the people at work or at school might kind of think I'm weird. That's not what he's talking about. That's, that's an emotion of shame. That's, that's like I, I feel ashamed, I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. That is not what the Apostle Paul is referring to. The Apostle Paul is saying, I am not ashamed. The gospel will stand up to every argument that you can throw at it. It'll stand up to your logic. It'll stand up to your philosophy. It'll stand up to your reason. It, I'm, and, I can, and he says, I can defend it vigorously. Because he tells us some things in there about the gospel. He says, it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But he also tells us in verse 17, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel is power, it brings salvation to those who believe, but it also shows us the righteousness of God. And that's going to be in contrast to what we're going to study this morning, because this morning we're going to look at, at the judgment of God or the wrath of God. So in the gospel, Paul's saying there is the righteousness of God is revealed, salvation is available to everyone who believes, and then as we pick up here in verse 18, from verse 18 all the way through the rest of chapter 1, all the way through chapter 2, all the way through the first part of chapter 3, about the first 20 verses, there's no more gospel. There's no more good news. Okay, we're going to be talking about the wrath of God. We're going to, and, and Paul is doing it this way, he's making an argument basically to set up and to show everybody that all people are sinners. That all of us are in need of the gospel. And as he comes through the rest of chapter 1 and all of chapter 2, I think you'll be able to see he's referring to all mankind in general. He's not referring to specifically Christians. He's referring to everybody in mankind. So look at verse 18. He says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress or the king james version says hold hold the truth in unrighteousness this verse the way that we interpret this verse is going to be paramount for the way that we interpret the rest of what's coming up now what we see is the wrath of god this is this is when, when we talk about salvation when we talk about the gospel what are we saved from as christians we use the word saved are you saved i'm saved are you saved yeah i'm saved no i'm not saved what are you saved from from judgment. You're saved from the wrath of God. That's exactly what you're being. Well, I'm saved from my sin. Well, yeah, you are saved from your sin, but your sin brings about the wrath of God. So what Paul is going, he's going all the way back to the beginning here. And he's saying the wrath of God, the wrath of God is revealed, which means it's shown to, it's, it's going to come upon. It's revealed from heaven, from heaven. It's revealed from heaven against, all right, this is where we want to pay attention. 
The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against who? Or against what? Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness are those men that are sinning against God. Unrighteousness means those men that are sinning against men. Ungodly means you're not, you're not following what God would call you to do. Unrighteous means you're not doing what's right. Those, men who, those people who are living basically, we could say, in sin, here comes the wrath of God. It's revealed against unrighteousness of men who, now, suppress the truth. Suppress the truth or hold the truth. Most of our new modern translations have the word suppress. Now, raise your hand if, you have the, if your Bible says suppress the truth. Most of our modern translations say suppress the truth. The King James Version, I believe, is the only one that says hold the truth. Hold the truth. And I think that that's, this word is very, very important because it means a lot. And let me explain to you why I think it's so important, why I'm pausing to understand it. Suppressing something is different than holding something. Suppressing something means I'm kind of being pushed back. I'm pushing something off. I'm pushing something away. Holding something means I'm holding a cup in my hand. I'm holding something in my hand. You understand the difference? Now, you might say, well, you have to hold something to suppress it. Not necessarily. You could push something back. You could resist something. You could not listen to something. That would be suppressing it. But I think this word here, hold, is important. As a matter of fact, the same Greek word is used 19 times in the Bible. This is the only place it's translated, uh, translated suppress. Every other place it's called hold, it's called take, it's called the, it gives the implication that you're holding on to something, that you have something in your control. That, you, that you're physically holding something. And this is going to be important. Follow, me, follow with me here. He says this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That's sinners of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Hold the truth. Hold the truth. It's going to be the truth of God. So men who hold the truth of God in unrighteousness, the wrath of God will be poured out on them. Now this is interesting. Follow with me on this line. We would normally say... If I were to ask you a question and say, uh, if, if, let's just say, let's say that a one-year-old child passes away, okay? Obviously, a one-year-old child is not old enough to accept Christ or to believe on Jesus Christ, to be forgiven for their sins. So where would that child go? Would the child go with, to be with the Lord or would they be held accountable for their sins? Because most of our Christian theology teaches we were born with a sinful nature. We were all born sinners, but yet the child, where, where would that child go? You say, well, Rob, I think that child would go to heaven. Well, listen, there's a difference between holding and suppressing, okay? Because what Paul's saying is here, those people who hold the truth, that means they have a hold, they have a grasp. How much truth can that child hold? None. How much, how much truth can a one-year-old hold? How much truth can somebody who's mentally handicapped hold? They can't understand the truth. They can't, they can't, they can't comprehend it. They can't hold it. They, because they can't hold it, there's no wrath of God upon them. You follow what I'm saying here? It's important that we understand this because people will ask that question. You know, I have a son or a daughter who's mentally handicapped. You know, what's going to happen to them? And it comes back to, you know, and most often, the most common Christian answer is, well, if they believe in Jesus, they're going to heaven. Well, no, the, the wrath of God comes against those who hold truth and resist it. Those who hold truth and don't follow it. Those who hold truth. So we're only held accountable to the truth for which we hold. You guys follow me? I might have just changed some of your theology there. I don't know. But I, I want you to see it in the scripture. Let me read it to you again. For the wrath of God, the wrath of God, that's what we're saved from, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That means they're doing what is unjust. That means they have the truth of God. They're holding on to the truth of God, but yet they're still living a life of unjust. They're still living a life of sin. They're still living a life of 
consumed with sin. They're holding the truth, but they're living in unrighteousness. Now, the question comes about, how can a man hold the truth? How can somebody hold the truth? Where do they get the truth? How is this given to us? Let's keep reading. Verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now notice what that says. The things that may be known of God is manifest, that's evident in them, inside of them, evident inside of them. How did they get it? God has shown it to them. So now Paul's referring to all of mankind here. Paul's referring to God has been made, his self, made himself known to all of mankind. It's been, made, it's been put inside of them. It's been planted in their hearts. You know, and I, I know that statement's true. And you say, well, how do you know it's true? Because every culture throughout history has always worshipped something. Every culture throughout history has had a religion. There's always a religion. There's always a worship. They're always giving glory to something or someone. As a matter of fact, you can track the cultures based on the ruins and their idols. You can find their idols and you can find out what religion they were, what they were worshiping. It's very, very common to find that because we were created by God to worship. We were created by God to give glory to God is the way that we were created. Now follow along because I know the next question. Well, how, what if nobody, you know, how did this happen? How did man get the truth? Listen, look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, that's the creation of the earth, the world, his invisible attributes are clearly, notice it doesn't say cloudy, clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, so that they are without excuse. Now, what this means, because the question that gets asked is, what if there's an Indian, and he lives on a place all by himself, and there's no, and nobody's ever, no missionaries ever shared the gospel with him. No one's ever told him about Jesus Christ. No one's ever, you know, he's never even seen another person. He grew up by himself on an island or whatever. Never had contact with anybody. I want you to see what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying that because that may, what, may, what may be made known of God, The things of God that might be known are in him. They're already in him from creation. For God has shown it to him. Well, how did God show it to him, Rob? How how has it been seen? Look at verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his, that's God's, invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen. So in other words, what he's saying, what Paul's saying is God's attributes are clearly seen in creation. When someone looks back at creation, and maybe you've seen the picture of the Indian that sits on the bluff and looks out and he's pondering some spiritual deep thing, or maybe you've seen the things like that. When someone looks at creation, they're going to see that there is a creator. They're going to see that somebody put all this together. They're going to see order. They're going to be that somebody is behind this. Now, when you look at a painting, do you praise the painting or do you praise the artist? Merrill had a gallery open last night. Hopefully some of you guys got to go see his paintings. When you walk into a room full of Merrill's paintings and you begin to look, you don't start worshiping the paintings. You don't start worshiping, wow, what a beautiful painting. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you you start giving glory right away because it's a beautiful piece of work. But then if you look long enough, can you tell things about an artist from a painting? Well, you can if you're an artist. Some other, some regular people look and go, no, just like a big mess to me. 
But if you're an artist and you study a painting and you look at, you can, you can tell what kind of mood he, was in, he or she was in when they painted it. You can tell a little bit about their background. You can, you can study all kinds of things from a painting and learn that. That's exactly what God's saying. When you study my artwork, when you look around the earth and you see the order and you see the animals and you see the mountains and you see the trees and you see the creation and you see it all taking place, it should cause you to worship. It should cause you to go, wow. This is, this is available. And he, he goes further. He says, I planted that in you. I've seen, I'm the one that put that there. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now notice what you can understand. God says, this is what you can learn about me in creation. My eternal power and my Godhead. He says, you can learn that I'm eternal. You can learn that I'm powerful. And you can actually see the Trinity in creation, the Godhead. You can see these things in creation. So notice what it says, so that they are without excuse. That means that nobody will stand before the Lord someday and say, I didn't know there was a God. No one ever told me there was a God. No one ever told me that. God's going to say, no, no, <laughs> you knew because I put it inside of you. I showed you creation. I showed you these things. Now, Paul's beginning to make an argument, and I want you to follow along. He's going to show us that all men are under sin. That's, his, that's where he's going to take us by the middle of chapter 3. All men are under sin. And as he does this, he, he's taking away the excuse of saying, well, not all men are under sin, only those who knew about Jesus, only those who heard the gospel. Only, no, Paul, Paul's saying all men are under sin because God has revealed himself and man is only accountable. The wrath of God is only poured out on the truth which you held. The more truth you hold, the more accountable you're going to be. How much more are we going to be accountable holding a book of truth than those that lived 5,000 years ago? Those that lived before. You see, we hold a lot of truth in our hands. We, we carry it around. It's in our house. We have lots of them, but this is the book of truth that we're holding. Now, look at verse 21. Because although they knew God, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Again, the question isn't, did they know God? They knew God. The Bible tells us they knew God. Paul tells us they knew God. There's not going to be an excuse, but here's what they do. Although they knew God, they made a mistake. Notice their first failure. Notice mankind's first failure. They failed to glorify him as God. They weren't thankful, and they became futile in their thoughts. Futile, that means worthless, useless. So their first failure, they knew who God was, but they didn't glorify God. They didn't give him the glory that he deserves. They didn't give him the worship and the praise that he deserves for creation. And they weren't thankful. Wow thankful are we thankful are you really thankful for the breath the air that we breathe are, we, are you really thankful for the for the things that god has given you are you really thankful for the health maybe you don't have perfect health maybe it's just partial health are you really thankful you see this is the this is the downward spiral of mankind we don't glorify god we become unthankful and then we become futile in our thoughts Futile in our thoughts, useless thoughts, worthless thoughts. Our minds go on places that don't even matter. Our, we're, we spend time thinking about stuff that it, 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 it's useless. It's, it's a waste of time. And then he says, look, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. So these useless thoughts to us as human beings think, wow, I'm pretty smart. 
I'm having these deep philosophical thoughts. I'm, I'm contemplating these deep things. And here Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. They became fools. And look what they did. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, four-footed animals, and creeping things. So here's mankind. Some man, woman, somewhere is born. They're born with an innate information about God. God's placed it in their heart. They're supposed to look at creation and see there's a God. They're supposed to see his, his etern- the fact that he's eternal. They're supposed to see his power. They're supposed to see his Godhead. But then we realize they're, they're, going, to, they're going to become futile in their thoughts. They're not going to be thankful. They're not going to glorify God. And pretty soon they think they're becoming smart, but they're really becoming foolish. And then what they're going to do is they're going to change They're going to change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image. What does that look like? It means they begin worshiping what? Idols. They begin worshiping idols. They begin worshiping things. Can't we look back over history and see this is happening? There was cultures that are worshiping idols. Do you study your history? You'll find it. It's all there. Cultures had all kinds of things that they were worshiping. But they changed. They exchanged. they, they, They took the glory of God and they took it off of God and they put it onto something else. And what's going to become of that? Look at verse 23. Oh, back before we go to verse 24. Not only did they put it on idols, they put it on birds. They put it on four-footed animals, creeping things. They begin worshiping animals. They begin worshiping eagles. They begin worshiping all kinds of crazy things. History History verifies what Paul's saying here. And then in verse 24, as a result of them doing that, look look what God does. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness, in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So I want you to see the progression here. Man is made by God. The truth about God is planted in him. Creation is supposed to reveal things to God. Man doesn't take what's, what God's trying to reveal to him. He dismisses it. He walks away from it. He's not thankful. He doesn't glorify him. He becomes futile in his thoughts. He becomes wise in his own eyes. He exchanges the truth of God. He exchanges what, what God, the worship of God for, to worship of idols. And then it says God gave them up. This is the first of three times we're going to see God gave them up. And I want to illustrate that to you because I want to show you what it means. God gave them up. Picture a parent holding a child's hand and the child wanting to run across a busy street full of traffic. And the child's pulling on the parent's arm. No, you can't go. No, I'm going to keep you from going. I'm restraining you from going. And all of a sudden, when it says God gave them up, it is as if the parent lets go of the child and says, fine, go. And we would never do that as parents. We would always protect our children. But God's, God is saying, I'm giving you a choice. I'm restraining you. I'm holding you. I'm keeping you. And eventually he's going to say, I'm going to give them up. I'm gonna, what did he give them up to? What, where's the step that God gave them up to? Uncleanness in the lust of their hearts. That's moral impurity. That's what uncleanness means. It's moral impurity in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So God gives them up to this uncleanness. He gives them up to this, 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 this moral uncleanness, which leads the man or the woman who does what in verse 25? Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
So this downward spiral that we see mankind going through, they're holding on to God. God's planted his knowledge in them. They realize they, they become unthankful. They don't glorify God. They, they change the glory of God into an image made by corruptible man. God gives them up, and then their next step in verse 25, they exchange. They trade. They take the truth of God. They give it away for a lie. They give it away for a lie. And they worship and serve the creature. Who's the creature? The creature is you. It's me. It's your body, yourself. It's a picture of somebody worshiping themselves, the creature. They already worship the animals. We already saw that. This is where mankind, where it becomes all about mankind. This is where mankind says, it's all about me. I'm the one who deserves the worship. I'm the one who's going to say what's right and wrong. I'm the one who's, it's all, I'm in charge of my life. I want things my way. That's really ultimately worshiping, worshiping yourself. When someone takes themselves and they place them above God, they're putting themselves in the position of God, and nobody's going to tell me what to do, including the Bible. And I'm going to make the decision if what the Bible says applies to my life. I'm going to make the, be the one that says, well, no, no, that's outdated. I'm not going to deal with that. I don't like that scripture. I'm just going to tear that page right out of my Bible. That's making yourself God. That's worshiping yourself. You're the one that gets to choose that. Now, Paul says they exchange the truth of God. They had it. In order to exchange it, you have to have it, right? They had it. They had the truth of God. They exchanged it for a lie. And the worship, they served the, creature, the creature rather than the creator. And notice what he says about the creator. He pauses. He says, who is blessed forever? He pauses just for a moment and says, who is blessed forever? And again, when this happens, when they begin to worship themselves, when mankind says, I'm worshiping myself, no longer worshiping God. We've already done the idol thing. Now it's all about self. It's all about self-worship. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up. This is the second God gave them over to. Picture it. God's restraining. God's holding back. Keep, don't go. And finally, God says, I gave them up. What did he give them up to? Vile passions. That means degrading. That means shameful. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. He gave them up to their passions. It means strong sexual desires. Vile means degrading and shameful. Passions mean strong sexual desires. He's restraining, he's restraining, and he gives them up. And he says, Rob, you can't talk about that in church. That's not what our culture believes. I don't care what our culture believes. That's what the Bible says. And I will always teach what the Bible says over what the culture or the government says. I'm focused on God. I will be judged one day whether or not I teach God's word, not whether or not I comply with what the culture says. Now, I, I have to pause here and say a couple of things for even their, notice he says, for even their women, as if it's surprising. You know, you, we expect the men to be pigs, but the women we don't expect to be pigs, right? We don't expect our mothers and daughters to be pigs, you know, but here's what he's saying. For even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Do you, see the, do you see the progression that's coming through this? They had the truth, and they exchanged it. They had the truth. They gave it away. God gave them up to. God gave them up to. They had the truth, and now we come to a place where mankind has, God has given them up to their vile passions. Now, I have to pause, like I said, for a moment, just to kind of talk about this. In our culture, uh, this is obviously speaking about homosexuality. In our culture, homosexuality is being taught as it's being right. I want you to be clear, it's unbiblical. It is sin. It is clearly sin in the scriptures. But I also want to be clear that it is not the only sin in the scriptures. 
Many times pastors will pull this section out and they'll preach a whole message on homosexuality. And I think that as a church, we're doing a disservice there. We need to be people who call sin, sin. We call right, right, and call wrong, wrong. But we also need to be, understand that the people that are stuck here, the people that are in this, they need Jesus. They need the gospel that shows the righteousness of God. They need that in their life. Here's what we come to find out. We already know that people in, in a sinful lifestyle know it's sinful. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. The scripture is clear about that. You already, do, I have, do I have to list, the, if I started listing sins out, do I, need, do I need to come tell you what your sins are? Do I, I mean, or do you already know where your failures lie? You know, it, it, truth is, if you already know where your sins lie. And if I was to make a list, the problem with me making a list is I might leave somebody out. And if I taught a whole message on homosexuality and how wrong it is and how sinful it is, which it is wrong and it is sinful, but it's not any worse than pride. It's not any worse than a man looking at pornography. It's not any worse than adultery. It's not any, it's not any worse than that. It's, it's still sin. It still requires a savior. I think that I, if I was to do that, if I was to make a list, the problem is I'd leave somebody's sin out. You see, I'd point out, naturally, guess what kind of list I want to make? I want to make the list that I don't struggle with. I want to make a list that you guys struggle with, not my sins. Because the truth is, when I point out, or when you point out somebody else's sins, it makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. At least that's not my problem. Yeah, that's, that's his problem. That's her problem. Yeah, boy, preach it. Preach. Go get a pastor. Go tell him. And I want to say one other thing about this. There's been a lot of revivals throughout history. And I personally believe that the next revival will come out of the homosexual community. I personally believe that as they get the legislation, as they get the things that they want, as they get marriage and they get equality and they get that, I think God is going to, they're going to find themselves lost without love. They're going to, they're looking for love. They're looking for acceptance. They're looking for those things. They're going to be, they're, they're, and, and when they finally get it, you can legislate it, but no different when the hippies in the 60s. What were they looking for? Looking for love, right? Trying to find love. I think God can do an amazing work out of that community, but I think the church has to be ready for it. I don't mean, the, I don't mean just our church. I mean the church as a whole. We have to be ready to share the gospel with them. We have to be ready to let people come into our church and sit and hear the Bible being taught. We have to be ready to love people for, for, because the Lord loves them. doesn't mean we put up with them. doesn't mean we tolerate and say that what they're doing is wrong or right when it's wrong. We don't, we don't change those rules. The Bible declares sin is sin. But aren't we all sinners? Did anybody come in here that's not a sinner? Anybody not sin this week? If you did, come tell me because I want to know how you do it. You see, we're all sinners and we all fall short. And that's what Paul's going to prove as we continue studying through Romans. We're all sinners. We all fall short. We all need Jesus Christ. And Paul points it out in here, in context, because he wants to show you the progression of how bad things are getting. Man had the truth. They exchanged the truth. God gave them over. Man had this. And then, and then man exchanged the truth of God. God gave them over to vile passions. Now the, we see the in, in extreme sexual desires, extreme degrading, shameful things happening. Do we see that happening in our world today? Yeah, you bet we do. Is there anything new? No, it's been going on for years. It might be new to our country in a, in a sense, but, but throughout the world, a lot of the sexual things that we see happening in our country are not new to the, to the world. They've been going on for a long time. But notice verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. This is the people, I don't even want to talk about God. I don't want to hear God. I'm going, I, these are atheists. I don't believe in God. There is no God. 
There is no God. I'm not doing it. I don't want to hear it. It's, it's atheist. And notice what God does. God gave them over. Same thing as holding back a child and finally letting the child go. God then gave them over to a debased mind. Debased mind. Unqualified and worthless mind to do those things which are not fitting. Do those things which are not fitting. You see, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, and God gave them up to uncleanness. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, and God gave them up to vile passions. And they began the strong sexual, uh, uh, sexual, sexual things, and, and, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind. What does it look like to have a debased mind? Keep reading, verse 29 being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual... Notice it says filled. This is full. This is I'm... You know what filled means? Top. There's no room room for anything else. It's full. Filled with all... uh, I lost my spot here. Uh, Oh, filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, They're whisperers, that's gossip, backbiters, haters of God. They're violent, proud, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. And notice verse 32. Who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. Not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice such things. You see, Paul has laid this out for us at the end of chapter 1, this picture, this digression of man. Man everywhere. Man, doesn't matter where they were born, where they grew up, they have the knowledge of God. It was planted in them by God. And here's what sin does. He lays it out to them piece by piece. God says, I put my knowledge in you. You should look at creation and see me. I'm clearly seen. You can see my, that I'm eternal. You can see my Godhead. You can see my power. And you are without excuse. Yet mankind, yet mankind, they knew God. They didn't glorify him as God. They became unthankful and they became futile in their thoughts or their imaginations. Now, real quick, I'm going to jump back to verse 21 but became futile in their thoughts and their imaginations, their foolish hearts were darkened. That means the heart went from light to dark. Isn't that what darken means? The heart went from light to dark. You say, wait a minute, how does a heart go from light to dark? You see, I backed up to our original talk about holding the truth. Holding the truth. When you were born, you know, you hear the word sin nature in Christianity. Okay, we hear that a lot. There's no, that word doesn't exist in the Bible. Okay, it's, it's not there. It's, it's a man-made term. And we are born with a flesh that will lead us into sin. We're, that, that's pretty clear. Your flesh, from the time you're a little baby, you're going to be selfish. It's all about you. And that becomes sinful. But we are not held accountable for those sins until we hold the truth or until we can understand the, that truth that's given to us. Notice the heart goes from light to dark. It lines up with what Paul said in verse 18. You hold the truth. Their foolish hearts were darkened. They had the truth. 
And all of a sudden, because they didn't glorify God, because they weren't thankful, because they became futile in their thoughts, their light hearts become darker hearts. You guys with me? The hearts become dark. And then what do they do? They change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. And we see that and they begin worshiping idols. They begin worshiping other things. They worship the sun, the moon, the stars. They worship this God. They worship that God. And God gave them up. It says, God, I'll let, I'm going to let them go, God says. I've been restraining. I'm going to let them go. And they begin to give them up to uncleanness in the lust of their heart. He gives them up to moral impurity. And then they do what? They exchange the truth of God for a lie. No longer do we want to hear God's truth. We want to hear a lie. We, want, we don't want to hear what's true. And we're going to worship. And notice it says in verse 25, worshiped and what? Served the creature. Not only, did we just worship, not only do we worship the creature, we serve the creature. That's ourselves. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And God gave them up again. And God gave them up this time to vile passions. And it led to an outpouring of homosexuality. They did not even like to hear about God. Oh, we have that in our culture today, don't we? They don't want to hear about God. Don't talk about God. Freedom of speech, unless it's about God. No, we can't. No, They didn't even want to retain God in their knowledge. And again, God gave them up to a debased mind. And the people became filled with all of these. I think there's 24 of them listed there. Filled sexual immorality, unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness. All of these things they're filled with. And then look down at verse 32. Having, oh, I'm sorry, verse 32. Who knowing. Even at this point, they know. That what do they know? They know the righteous judgment of God. They know the righteous judgment of God. They've, give, they've been given up three times to three different areas by God. And they still know the righteous judgment of God. That those who practice such things are deserving of death. So the last thing they do is they exchange eternal life for eternal death. The last exchange they make is eternal life for eternal death. They know the life that they're living is wrong. They know their life is sinful and they know it. And they exchange it. They know it. It says they exchange, they practice such things are deserving of death. But he doesn't stop there. He says not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice such things. This is speaking to the people who are approving of people who are practicing such things. Well, no, I, I don't do that, but I think it's, it's their right. It's, it's, well, it's, let them do what they want to do. No, this, this is what Paul's saying. You say, Rob, that's not very good news for believers. That's a terrible history of mankind. We're all, by the time you get to the end of chapter 1, I want to quit this book. I've seen it. That, that's enough. No, no, it's going to get really good. This, the next, the next chapter, we're going to get more of this next week, I promise. But by the time we get to chapter 3, what Paul's setting up is he's setting up grace. He's setting up the picture and the meaning that we all need the grace of God. If you don't have the salvation that he talked about in verses 16 and 17, then this is the direction that you're headed. Your life is going to go this way. This, this is, you, can, you can rest assured if you were to look back at your life and find steps, you would find them laid out just like this in your life. And then I'm going to tell you what's going to come next week. You see, because as Christians, we look at that and what do we say? The wrath of God is coming against the ungodly. And there are natural parties. Good. Give them. Get them, God. Get them. They're ungodly. The next, next chapter is going to be towards us. He's going to talk to us. You see, when we look at the ungodly as Christians, I can go, well, you know, that's not me and that's not me. And when I look at that last list and there's a few things there that might be me. Oh, boy, where am I at? Next week, he's going to get you good. I promise. But by the time we get to chapter 3, you're going to see the beautiful grace of God unfold. 
And Paul is, Paul is taking us down this path of, you can almost say that he's evangelizing. He's taking us down the path. You see, most of the time when we evangelize, we, we try to point people out that they're sinners, right? We're, we're, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. You don't need to be saved from your sin. You need to be saved from the wrath of God. It's coming. And they already know that because we just read that God's already put that in their heart. God's already showed it to them. This is where they're at. God, God's already said all of mankind has seen it. Well, how do I know that? They might deny it, but we, are, we can trust the scripture over what they say. You see, God's already put it in their heart. You should know there's a God based on creation as you look around, as you ponder that. But there's also something really beautiful in here, and it speaks to what happens to those who don't hold the truth, like that one-year-old child, like that baby, like that person that's mentally handicapped, that's not holding, that, that's not able to comprehend the truth. Well, according to my Bible, it says the wrath of God is revealed from those who hold the truth. So what it means is we're only going to be held accountable for the truth, which you know. That's why that a guy who lived before the time of Abraham could be saved if he believed God. He was only held accountable for the truth that he, hold, what he held. Now in this day, look how much truth we hold. Look how much information is available to us. Even if it wasn't, we would still have the opportunity to know God. And we know that because as we look across cultures, we see the fact they exchanged the worship of God for all kinds of different things, haven't they? Do a study sometime on the different religions. Go see where they came from. See how they, they've exchanged it. They've they found something else to worship. They found some other reason to worship. Now, as we continue, and we're going to stop here for today. As we continue in chapter 2 and on into chapter 3, stick with us. Again, chapter 2 is going to be more. There's no grace. There, there was no grace in that, was there? It was all judgment and being turned over. And Paul's doing that for a reason. And it'll continue into chapter 2. But keep waiting because we're going to see the grace of God and we're going to see the power of the gospel as we get forward into chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, sometimes this is hard to understand. Lord, we bring up natural questions like, why would you let go? Just keep holding on. But yet we also know that you've given us free will and free choice. That if we push against you long enough, if we push against you hard enough, the Bible is clear that you'll let us have what we want. You'll let us have what we so desire. And I know, Lord, that you would let us have that only in hopes of bringing us back to you. Only allowing us to experience what we think will bring fulfillment, what we think will bring joy and love and Lord, when it brings emptiness, you don't forsake us. You don't say, I told you so. You don't say you had your chance. But instead, you're there, like the father waiting for the prodigal son to come home. Just waiting for our return. Father, I thank you for your long suffering. I thank you for your grace. Lord, this all started with people failing to glorify God and not being thankful. May our hearts bring you glory. May our lives, may our mouths bring you thanks. For the little things that we endure every day. For the little things like the air in our lungs, the breath that we have. The health, the family, the friends, the place to worship. The finances. Maybe it's little, but it's still thankful. Are we thankful? Lord, don't let us become unthankful people. In Jesus' name, amen.